0: Yes. Sorry, I
1: thought you were talking to Heath. That's a that's a hard subject, to... and sometimes he'll get frustrated. He'll come over and he'll be like, "What are you doing? Why are you holding things up?"
2: You're killing me, finish You're just killing me. Just get off my main line, you know. <laughs>
0: That's not
3: nice, Tom. You're listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Geyser and Ken Zeska. This episode of the crossing gate podcast is brought to you by the three plus hour long youtube live stream do you enjoy model railroad videos on youtube do you like to watch and participate in live streams about trains you need the three four or even five hour long live stream you can watch the host fill up hours with rants off subject topics Political opinions that have nothing to do with model trains. And vacation photos to Cancun. Have you ever wanted to see a review of a new model? Well, grab some snacks and a cool beverage as the host takes over an hour to explain the history of the model's prototype. Then takes another hour to open the box. No, not the box that the model was packaged in from the company. We mean the brown cardboard box that the hobby distributor used to ship the new model. It's off to the races as the host finally brings the model out into the light and proceeds to go over the paperwork for another 30 minutes. You can be in the live stream chat saying hello to your friends, each and every one of them. This will take up to an hour alone. Then you can start on the usual jokes, insults, and off-topic chat that only you and two others in the live stream will understand. Don't forget about the endless promotions to buy merchandise, subscribe to more channels, and hear about everyone's latest medical issues. Yes, the three-plus-hour live stream is a great way to spend an evening doing anything but model railroading. Don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Crossing Gate Podcast. Today I'm joined by Joe Binish. Hello. And Heath Hurwitz. Hello, and I'm your host, Thomas Gajer. Today, we're going to be discussing car cards and waybills, but specifically how to get started after you purchase or create your car cards and waybills. How do you fill out those waybills that make sense to you and your operators? Keith, I'll start with you because you just started in with your car cards and Joe is helping you. So What were some of the questions you had after you, I think you purchased the Micromark set, correct me if I'm wrong, but what were some of the questions you had staring at blank Waybills?
1: I was fortunate enough to operate on some very accomplished and very finished, as much as a layout is ever finished layouts. And I was just handed a stack of car card and Waybills to go off and operate. So I understood the idea of what they should look like. I just had no idea how to translate that to my layout. I had some preconceived ideas of what it was supposed to look like, but it was from a very limited point of view. It was only from the on layout point of view from my operation experiences. And I think one of the biggest changes that, I made through conversations with Joe were understanding that my layout is just a very, very small part of my operations and that it's all the off layout industries and different areas that have just as much of an impact on my waybills as what's actually on my layout. We first really started by figuring out what industries I had on my layout and what industries off my layout we would be able to send products that my different industries made or products that my industries would receive. And it was even at that point, I still didn't really understand now how to convert that information into a waybill. So I, as Tom had mentioned, I had bought the Micromark waybill set, and I was staring at the waybill's, And what I hadn't done yet was all of the research. The important part, I think, of operations is realizing that the why cars are moving needs to be figured out for the how and the all the exact things don't matter so much until you've figured out the bigger picture, the bigger stories.
2: And Joe, since you've been doing this for many, many years, What did you recommend to start with on the why is this movie? Why is a waybill so important? And then we'll get to the research versus freelance version of that.
0: The important thing, and, and he's mentioned this, is think of your railroad as a small part, a big part, depends how big your basement is, of the United States transportation system. And era makes a difference and locale makes a difference. But everything at some point moves by train, right? Coal for the power plant. The fly ash that comes out from the coal or from the power plant goes somewhere. And then if you model, you know, the XYZ company that builds widgets, those raw materials come from somewhere. They don't just appear, right? Somebody's ordered them. Someone's arranged for them to get to that the, the factory. And then the magic happens in the factory. And then... Out comes the product that either moves by truck locally or truck across the country or by train, hopefully. So we have to kind of think about if you're building widgets, how many pieces of iron or you know rolls of steel are required for that? And then you can go and figure the individual car loads and how frequently you need to have those things delivered. And you want to talk about a rabbit hole, you can go as deep and as, as wide as you want to go with that. Like he said, you have to think about what is happening in your, on your railroad or on your part, that part of your railroad so that you can justify, and, and we'll put that in quotations, having those cars on your railroad and, and having them moved on your railroad.
1: And you said something that kind of triggered another thought for me is my railroad does have a story, but I come from the world where trains run in circles. So for me, it was more just that I wanted to go from trains running in circles to trains having a purpose, but I didn't care what the purpose was. I just wanted them to move around the layout. And one part of operations is that I did, to some extent, have to start choosing an era. I had to start choosing industry names. But coming from the, I just want to put 10 boxcars on the track and run them around in circles it was really kind of a mental game that i was playing to flip everything over and recognize where i needed to start from that it's not just don't just put 10 boxcars on the layout put 10 boxcars on the layout based on all of this information that you've looked up ahead of time Well, one of the things I love about model railroading is that there are a lot of ways in for a lot of different people. For me, I feel like by coming in as a run trains in a circle kind of person and not seeing or having the experiences of operation, making the switch to figuring out what to put on a way bill, what to have go to an industry it was to some extent putting the cart before the horse. You know, I had the layout built. I had some idea of where I wanted things to run. But until I actually went and actually picked an era and, and picked the names of some industries. I couldn't figure out how to make anything anything move. So learning where to start, for me, was, I think, the hardest part of operations.
0: It, it comes down to when you're starting in anything, and especially a hobby, right? Because this is supposed to be fun, and we're supposed to have other lives outside of this. You don't know what you don't know until you've actually thrown some time and, some, unfortunately, some money at it. If you're lucky, you get to be go to an operating session like you've done a few of, Heath, and, and Tom and I have done a few more. You go and you see, oh, okay, I understand now why they talk about Beyond the Basement and what it adds to it operations and really you don't care the operator the guy switching the cars doesn't care what all the other information is as he has the car card in his hand and the throttle and he's moving the car you know from spot to spot but it tells the story better for the layout owner and for the other crews or you know or the crews if you've done that base amount of of homework if you will or or set up so that it makes sense to move, you know, M and 53,000 from the yard in Cedar Lake to his freight house on his island.
1: So I was just going to say that the staging yard takes on a whole different life when it goes from just being where you store your cars to actually being the interchange for the rest of the world. Yeah, right. And one of the things we discussed was that it wasn't so much that a boxcar came onto my layout, went to all five of my industries, and then went off the layout. It was more that a boxcar enters the layout, it has its specific role that it plays, and then it leaves. And then something else comes in, does its role, and then leaves. So the staging yard really becomes a more active participant in the operations on the layout and not just a storage location for as many boxcars as you could fit on your layout.
0: Right. And so it, the staging yard, and thinking about it that way, kind of when people come down and look at your railroad, or in my case, in, in my basement or in your room in your apartment, they don't look at it and say, oh, do you set this up around the Christmas tree? You know, they, they don't get the difference until they've actually had to, to understand that. And that's a rather subtle idea to explain to someone who's not you know afflicted like we are with model railroading.
2: So when you get these car cards, and Keith, you kind of touched on this, it changes your view of not only the trains running around in circles and having a good look at good looking train and you know across some scenery and stuff, but it also changes your view of a boxcar moving from industry A on your layout to industry B to industry C. And off. Because now, like you said, this boxcar is coming from, I don't know, they coined the term, I'm sure, back in the VO days of off the layout. And Joe mentioned it earlier that you're part of the national railroad transportation map. And so staging represents you know Spokane, Washington, and Salt Lake City and El Paso, Texas, even on a smaller layout. That that You now have a piece of paper saying that boxcar came from Minneapolis Moline in Hopkins, Minnesota and is bringing parts to the warehouse on the island. And I think with the car cards, if you have one there, Heath, maybe we'll go through one. We had to learn the language, too, of consignee and shipper, and that brought up a whole bunch of questions. And I think as we go through that, maybe you and Joe could go through one top to bottom and we can explain how to actually fill one out. Because as you, we talked before, YouTube and other social media show how to operate. But they always show you mid-session. Here's the local, here's the car, here's the vehicle. We haven't found one yet that shows what we're talking about and what we talked about too on our YouTube live stream on your channel. That. How, when you get these car cards from a print shop, how do you fill them out that they make sense? So you, you and Joe, could you guys go from top to bottom on that? And then we'll have our listeners kind of understand the beginning of where we're at in this process. And, and then we'll go back to Heath. You also did an amazing thing. Like you talked about, you built your layout. Now you're adding ops to it. And a lot of people feel. They can't do that. It's like, well, I can't add ops. And this is a perfect example of you can do this any time in your layout's lifespan. That if you have a layout that's beautiful and you like watching your California Zephyr go by, now you, you can still add operations at any time. And I think we'll get to that. But let's go through the car cards top to bottom and what needs to be filled out.
1: Yeah, so the car card that I'm looking at has four waybills on it. So, so that alone uh, becomes a little overwhelming because it just seems like so much information to fill out. And then each way bill has, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lines to it. Is that right? seven lines to it. Sorry. And in my head, I'm going, I have to fill out all seven of those lines. I have to know what each of those items on the lines was, and I need to do that four times. On every single way bill. because if there's a line, you, you you have to put something down. And that was one of the first things that Joe taught me is, no, you don't need something on every line. You only need things on the line that matter. So I'm looking at a way bill right now. And out of the seven lines, only three of them are filled out. So uh, the first thing is uh, consignee and address. And consignee is, re- remind me again, Joe, what's the definition of consignee? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of your
0: your two, where you're going to deliver the car, the industry or the spot where, you, where we want to deliver that, that, not the car necessarily, but the, the lading, what the, what the car is carrying. That's what we care about. So that's number one that we want to have filled out and understand.
1: Yep. So the consignee and the address are where it's going to. Yep. But the other thing that's on here is shipper and address. And I didn't understand why I needed to know where it was coming from to know where the car was going to and why that was important to write that information down on my waybill.
0: And sometimes at the base level, it's not important because you don't care. But it helps tell part of the story so for example some of the cars we worked on on the waybills uh on your channel was the a great northern car and why did that matter that we were we were moving a great northern car well if the consignee the the receiver is your box and and crate manufacturer it matters because that's a a logical or a good car to bring in a load of Western red cedar from Washington state that then helps tell the story of why that great Northern car is on Manhattan Island in New York city. So that's why we care about it. It also tells us, gives us a good idea where to send the car back when we're going to load it and return it.
1: So then also on this way bill, now that we know where it's going to and from the two other lines are via, uh, V I a and shipper. Oh, I am sorry. Let's rewind. The other two lines on the waybill are routing and then via. So it's between the two and the from. It wants to know how you're routing it. And then I'm not exactly clear what the difference between routing and via was.
0: All right. So the routing, the way I had you use them is that tells you from your yard as the train arrives on your island, or on, on Manhattan Island, it arrives in a transfer or a through train, and then there's going to be a yard crew or a, a, a local crew that's going to break that train down into the individual cars and sort them so that the trains that are going to deliver them the pointy end of the spear, if you will, the trains that will deliver them to the receiver, know where to begin. Uh, if we bring in that great northern boxcar, if you put it's going to the freight house or to the the lumber yard or to the box manufacturer that those will go in a specific train. Right. So that tells the yard crew, this is where we want you to put that train so that when the local guy going out to serve the area where the the box manufacturer is, has those cars in his train, not cars for the freight house, which he doesn't go to.
2: So what you're saying then the routing on the way bill only deals with what's on your layout you don't have to put southern pacific to cnw to the new york central then it gets delivered to the rt you you could very well it all depends how you want to do things but yes
0: in in this case this is how this is what we we did
2: so mostly it's the routing once it has reached the on stage portion of your layout that it goes from staging to your classification yard where they will then sort it into the wave rate or local. Is that, yes, is that right, what we're saying? Right. Yep. Yeah. So explain the via portion again, please. Cause I wasn't so I'm trying to figure out the difference here with me as well. Yep. Yep. So that
0: kind of comes from an article by Tony Custer, I think in, was it the March 1993 or 94 uh, model Railroader? He talks about enhanced car operations. And, and I, I think that you probably have that article by now. I think I sent you some of it. Anyway, that's a a good way to say if you have an interchange on your railroad, you can say, I want that car to go off of my railroad via this railroad or via this interchange. So it's a way to generate a traffic pattern so that you have the train, the railroad behave in a certain way. And these things are all very flexible. It's all the ideas that you come up with to run your railroad. It, it's not, you know, well, Joe said this, so we have to do it this way. Come up with your own ideas and, and and make it work, you know, for your railroad. You may not have an interchange. You may say, well, I want the VIA to mean that it's always going to go out on this train and I'm going to write VIA the Heath Special on this in this line so that we know that it's got to go on that train. This is the fun part, doing all this Well, it's
1: the fun part, but this is also where I was experiencing the uh, paralysis analysis experience because, like we talked about previously, we're essentially creating a game for our specific layout, but there are no specific rules for our layout. So I am making up the rules every step of the way, and I can change the rules every step of the way. And I get to choose which prototypical rules I follow, which prototypical rules I don't follow. So the bucket of options that I have uh, to utilize are are just massive. So you can keep doing research and keep doing research and trying to find the perfect methodology for your own layout. But at a certain point, you just kind of have to have to pick something and, and just sort of Move forward with it. Yeah. Uh, for example, one of the things that I was stuck with was we were talking about bringing, let's say, a box car in from my staging yard and bring it to, let's say, Domino Sugar. And I was thinking, oh, I need to, you know, one part of the waybill is coming in from the staging yard. The next part of the waybill is that it arrives at the main yard. Then from the main yard, they take it to the storage tracks. And then the yard operator takes it from the storage tracks and builds it onto the local train. And then the local train takes it and delivers it to Domino Sugar. So I thought I needed like four, five, six waybills to to line up each of those movements. And the other thing that you kind of explained is that by using the routing and using the via lines that you can express to your operators that, this train, when it enters the layout, always goes to the classification yard, always gets broken down, and then always gets sent out on a local to that industry. And you could do that by writing on the routing that this boxcar goes via you know, the Manhattanville local. So I don't need to write the six or seven steps that the operators will understand that it needs to be brought in classified get onto this specific train and then go back out again
0: this should evolve right my railroad has 300 cars on it on you know i have 300 cars on any given session i may have 150 or or so cars on the railroad and so those i have redone the car cards probably three times because it wasn't working exactly how i wanted and it will work fine the first iteration is fine but it can be better. So then I've redone them. And I also wanted to, you know, fix some typos and, and make things make sense. And then I just created new errors. That's just the way I am. But it's not a set in stone process. And and you said, the important part is, is you have to give it a try. You have to let it flow. You've got to work with it and say, boy, this is great. Or boy, we've really got a problem here. This is, you know, we've got the cars all collected in one spot and, and we can't get anything going, the other, you know, any other directions and we're we're in a bind here. Well, rewrite some cars, handwrite some waybills and jam them in there if you do a computer generated system. And that's the neat part about car cards and waybills is they're self-healing. If somebody messes up, you know, your crew doesn't do the right thing. It's not a, a catastrophic thing where no, we can't operate anymore. No, just fix it. it and it's self-healing. So it's not gonna, you know, not gonna ruin operations for all time. It's just it's a, a hiccup that you've got to figure your way through. And that's it's like you said, it's a
2: linear game. So let's go over a couple of terms we just talked about. One of the things you said, Joe, is you use the routing and via to make your operations or layout the operations on your layout behave in a certain way. Is that to keep, after two sessions, all of a sudden you have a tsunami of cars going west, and the next session everything's going east? Is that what you mean by that, or is that something else?
0: Uh, Part of that, yeah. So I'll use my railroad. Central Minnesota has, you know, staging east and staging west. And I had come up with trains, if you will, or ways that the cars get off the railroad because that's, you know, again, I'm the sharp end of the stick. I'm the last mile of the railroad so we want to get those cars to their industries and then like Keith and I worked out the cars are are done with their work and they're going to go somewhere else so if i see that things are you know train 96 is the entire length of track 1 in my yard that's a problem because now i know there are going to be more cars coming off of there cuz that's off of the railroad for that train so I've got to get those cars cleared out or I've got to come up with a way so that I don't dump more 96s in on the poor yardmaster. You can look at that and run an extra or you make up some other waybills to say go somewhere else, do something else.
2: Okay. So the behavior is in the amount of cars flowing to or from an industry or from a yard or staging. Yeah, exactly. And then Heath also brought this up. This is a good point to remember that these waybills are paper, and like Joe encouraged you just to start writing. Let's just make some up. They're paper. We can toss them away and write new ones. This is not chiseled in stone. This is not, you know, you're pricking your finger for blood and you're sealing it or anything. <laughs> That's why I think the beauty of waybills is, you know, write write down that they're going to the ABC company. You know, they're coming out of Hopkins, Minnesota, and. Let it, let it fly. Three sessions, like that's not working. Throw it in the trash and let's write up a different routing for VIA for that. That works. And then let's go to Joe explain. Well, maybe let's not jump to that just yet. Let's go back to uh, writing the way bills and filling them out. And Keith, let's talk about, because you brought up a wonderful point on one of your live streams of asking the members in chat. To tell you what industries were on their layouts, and what did those industries ship and receive, so you could connect with them, and that opened up a lot of eyes in chat, where there maybe three quarters of the people were not operators, and it gave everybody thought. So, how do you think that went uh, versus going down Joe's rabbit hole of pulling up? registered guides and finding out where exactly panes of glass are made
1: yeah my railroad is definitely a freelance railroad so the idea of having to come up with prototypical industries that specifically exist in specific areas with specific things that they shipped wasn't as exciting for me and then i realized that i'm not the only one that's got made up industries on my layout and I thought what might be a lot more fun is to reach out to the community and say, hey, you know, I've got some toothpicks that I want to ship somewhere. Does anybody want toothpicks? What, what of your industries could I possibly ship toothpicks to? And other people that weren't operators necessarily, but may have had a restaurant or, you know, a distribution center or whatnot said, oh, yeah, why don't you send them here? And it became this really interesting conversation and people started actually writing that they were going to start changing their own layouts based on the conversation as well. And one person mentioned adding a team track, which is something completely new to me. This idea of less than car load, boxcars full of stuff that would go to a team track to then be unloaded by an area. So instead of taking one boxcar, and sending it to four different warehouses on your layout, you may just drop that boxcar on the team track, and then the warehouses would come and truck that material to where it needed to be trucked locally, which then added another. You could also, like Joe and I talk about team track,
2: if team track is used maybe by an industry that does not have a railroad spur. You know, where you're modeling the Manhattan, there's not many spurs outside the couple blocks from the shore. And I think, you know, it's genius for smaller lumber companies and things like that to use this team track. And it was neat. It was very interesting to see you learn about that and all the opportunities that presented.
1: And now I was increasing the size of my transportation network as well, because now it wasn't just about railroads. It was also about how railroads and trucking connected and how then railroads and shipping connected as well because i happened to have a car float on my layout and i was just kind of using it as an interchange but it took on a whole new life when i understood that oh some goods are shipped some goods are you know brought in by railroads some goods are trucked and it's expanding and just making my world you know bigger and bigger and i think another side to that too is when i started putting together my collection. I bought a lot of box cars and I just saw them as box cars with different colors and different labels on them. And now when I look at a box car, it's either a 40 foot box car, a 50 foot box car. It's a single door. It's a plug door. Some box cars that I thought were box cars are actually reefers or stock cars. They're not all just box cars. So going down this rabbit hole, has really changed how I view the rolling stock that I already own that's on my layout and started thinking about how it might get used in a more prototypical method of transportation. Mm, Mmm, boxcars, like boxcars. Boxcar red red boxcars, not this colored
0: stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Joe, you're a boxcar crazy nut. Joe will tell you what type of doors they had when they fixed them and the ends and things like that. So, as you went down the way, Bill, Joe, you helped him write the routing, the product. Who's it going to? What's what's the product? And so, that moved the car from staging onto the layout with a transfer to the yard, and the yard got to switch it to send it to the mink building and other places he's at. But then you mentioned that they're two-sided and four-sided. So, let's just go with the two-sided. Maybe you can... Joe, tell us what the definition of two-sided means, and why is that important? Because I think that's the portion where we get the car away from the industry, back to the yard, and then back to staging to send out, you know, back to Duluth, Minnesota. So tell us about the the two-sided.
0: Side number one, or A, is going to be your inbound load of spruce from, you know, Washington State to be built into a, you know, whatever, something at the, at the, uh, the mink building or the, the, the packaging guy. I realize they probably wouldn't use spruce. Let's not make it that small. But anyway, that's one side. And that is, those are the movements to have the car come in off of the, the transfer and into the yard and deliver to the industry that will have all that information to have that routing. The second side is going to have the routing to take that car back to the yard and be an empty or be sent out to somewhere in South Carolina with a load of boxes or whatever box cars, train cars move according to the national car fleet averages. So if the Penzi has 46,000 box cars, you can expect to see that many Penzi box cars move through your railroad. You know, the M MNCL is going to have a lot fewer Split Rock has what three box cars, so you'll never see a Split Rock box car.
2: Yeah, you might, you might if you pay enough. You pay enough. <laughs> so, so, so go back to that Penzi. Okay, so the Pens, of, you know, the largest freight car, them in the Southern Pacific. Yep, you're not going to have forty six thousand Pennsylvania cars on your land. You're just saying that the averages are. If you see a train go by, it's got a Pennsylvania car on it. Yes, pre nineteen sixty eight. Right. Right, you're going to see a Pennsy and a Southern Pacific car in that train. Is that what you meant?
0: Yes, yeah. And so the conversation is that every freight train should have at least one NP box car in it. For whatever reason, their box cars, the products they shipped, and and the age of their box cars are such that just about every train in the in the United States had one Northern Pacific box car in it. I don't know why. That's just the way it worked out. This, and the Penzi, the New York Central, the B and O, the Great Northern, the bigger railroads had more cars because they needed those cars for, to service their industries that were on their, you know, their switching areas or their service areas. So now you can, if you really want to get into it, you can say this many cars. Well, those translated to car movements. So that's where you get the two sided. Really, if you do a computer generated or even a hand generated car card and waybill. You've got five movements on there. One of them is the return to home yard that's on the car card itself written underneath the reporting marks behind the pocket. When you put a car, uh, a waybill in the pocket, each one of those can have up to four movements on it. That's how you get, that's how you generate the movements for your cars on your railroad. And so they should flow. If I so have, let's,
2: good. But let's, let's do something simple. All right. Okay, because we're I, I'm just we're getting away with the B and O and car out across the country, so we moved this Great Northern boxcar full of the wood, and they emptied. Yep, and you flip the waybill over. Right, you call it flipping over. You pull it out of you pull it out of the car card. Yep, turn it to where it says number two. Because mm-hmm. when you put the waybill in the car card, you only see half of it. Correct. Right, or a, a quarter of right, it, if you yeah. will. Quarter, quarter of it. Yeah, you yeah. don't see the backside. Right. But let's just say we have two sided for now. We're gonna keep it it's simple. So Heath would flip that over between sessions. Right. He'd run a session, thank his operators. Next time he comes downstairs, and you flip the waybill, and so that waybill says they need a box car in Buffalo, New York, and empty. So what would you write on that second portion? of that way bill so okay just send that car to not go around the layout and do three or four moves just to send it off the layout what would you write
0: assuming that the car isn't being loaded by the industry it's at right so when you flip it over spot two is,
2: no 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 just let's say you you know we're you're just emptying
0: it right so it's it's going to so, say empty for load is an easy way to say okay oh, okay now everybody knows that that's an empty car Right. And I'll I'll expand on that in just a second. So the white waybill that we have, the white paper waybill we have, that's now it says empty. And if you want it to go off to Buffalo, New York, you can say Buffalo, New York. And then in your routing or your via line, say uh, staging west. And that tells the crew where to send that. The local crew picking it up off of the industry says, oh, staging west. That means it goes to my local classification yard to be put on a train that is going to go to staging West, i.e. the rest of the world, in this case, Buffalo, New York. Now, while it's sitting in that yard, Heath also has some empty car forms, which are blue, right, Heath? So he can now fill out and say, I want this industry to have an, an empty brought in to be loaded. So he'll write mink building, and they want this car, an empty car. We don't know which car it is. In spot two to be loaded. So now he can take that empty car waybill, empty car request waybill, and put it in the pocket. And now we have two waybills in there, but we're only going to work with the front one. So now that can be sent by the local crew to the Mink building. You can play that game in such a way that you can generate extra car movements on your modeled part of the layout. Or you can send it off layout with the original waybill to Buffalo. Ie staging,
2: okay. So you'd say ABC Manufacturing, Buffalo, New York, is the new consignee. Yes, right. And route route via West Staging. Yes, you know via whatever the local that picks it up. Right. And so we, let's get we'll get to the blue cards, the add-on later. I think that that's almost an advanced stage. True. I just want I just want to stick to people who want to add ops to their layout. Real simple. And they'd like to try the car car, this yep. so, is what Heath is doing so well.
0: All right. So then, so you have those two, the the deliver to, uh, who's, I can't remember who it was delivered to. And then you've got the empty spot. And like you say, it goes off the layout. So those are two of your movements. And that allows you to, if you have one of those for every car, now you're going to have lots of cars flowing onto your railroad, going to industries, becoming empties or loads as necessary, and then flowing off the layout. Via your staging yards. A staging yard doesn't have to be big. It can be a single right. track that you just hand bond cars off of.
2: Right. So that's what, thats a great point. I think that's people need. Well, I got to build this huge yard. No, you just need one track to simulate things going off of the visible portion of your layout. And that—that's correct. Yep. Yep. And then you can you can, you know remove the cars and build a whole new train, build new way So with these car cards, Heath, I'll go to you back. You can just start out by moving cars onto your layout, switching them around through a number of locals and then moving them off. Do you think that's going to be a good start to operations to learn this before we go to advanced empty orders and LCLs and
1: <laughs> inner moves? It's definitely going to be a great place to start because I have to, learn what's possible with my layout and keeping it simple, having a car move on, do something and move off is going to let me learn, you know, where the bottlenecks are and or where I could add more operations as I go. It almost feels overwhelming just sort of like making these first little steps, but I will say I've had some really great conversations as I venture into this rabbit hole. And people have been very helpful getting me started down this path. And even as I get stuck, kind of helping helping me get unstuck. So there is a, a world of operators out there that I wouldn't say are necessarily the face of model railroading, but there is a large crowd of them. There are ways to find them, just like setting up your ops on your railroad, it, it's going to take a little bit of work to potentially find them. So I'm venturing down the MicroMark car card and waybill route. If you go to micromark.com and just search either car card or waybill, you'll get all of the various options that they have. And the best thing to start with, in my opinion, would probably be their starter kit where you get a certain amount of car cards, you get a certain amount of waybills you get a certain amount of uh, locomotive car cards and it's a good introduction and it's not that expensive and you could always just use a pencil so you could erase stuff as well but just starting to put things down on paper was very helpful for me in starting to understand what i need to do on my layout
2: yeah i think that's important and and joe i think another portion of starting out with this comes with a little bit of i'll say infrastructure because you're going to want to have a place to put these car cards somewhere in the area of those industries. What have you seen that people have done? Because I've seen simple, like, three. the three boxes I see are set-outs, holds, and pulls. Yep, right. So you can explain a little bit of that for the infrastructure of what else. If you get the car cards, these micro these wonderful things. Heath, you get your friends. You found these industries. Now, what's one more piece of this puzzle to start?
0: Well, you you really can just. It's pretty simple if you want it to be. You can be pretty elaborate, have a box or a slot for each industry, or you can do. You know, I know that they're going to be switching in this area, so this this box serves this entire area, and there are setouts like you said, pickups. And did we say holds for each area so that if you're going to build the boxes for them and they're just little slots that the car cards fit in as wide as your car cards are and, you know, half an inch thick, if that works for as many cars as you're going to switch or for the long time on my uh, good friend, Rich Ramirez's layout, we just set the cars in piles on the benchwork near the big yard and it worked fine. You know, inevitably somebody would bump the piles and you'd have to resort, but whatever. But, you know, for a yard, you should have track or a a box or a spot for each track so that you can sort cars that way. I use the Albion software, Ship It. So their cars are, cards are two and a quarter by two inches or something like that. So that is a good size. It's easy to hold in your hand. It's, you know, I use a clip for a train. I make engine cards in Excel that has the the engine number and the functions for my DCC. I mean, you can go as as complicated as you want, but the basic is a place to land the cards. when When you set out or place a car, that card and the car should stay together. And then you need somewhere for the crew to say ah these are cars i'm supposed to pick up so you have a pile or or a slot for those cars so that they can come to the switching area and pick up the cars pick up the cards and then pick up the cars
2: so not only between sessions i talked about heath that you drop off your great northern boxcar and then between sessions you flip the way bill but you'd also physically move the car card to the next box and either say, well, it's taken an extra day, so we're going to have it hold. Or they, they unloaded it quickly, and re- it's now a pickup. And that's how, that's how you kind of control your, your cars on and off. And like you said, make your layout behave. Is that correct?
0: Yes. The part of the game is to getting the cars to, to move so that it makes, quote-unquote, sense in the prototype. And, you know, I didn't live in 1953, so I don't know what it really ran like. But this is how I think it worked. So if we deliver, if the Third Street job comes down Third Street and delivers cars to Red Owl and, you know, we can imagine our little HO scale people opening the doors and starting to unload and putting down the bridge plates so they can go to the, you know, two deep cars and that kind of thing. They're not going to get every car unloaded, you know, that's delivered at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's not going to get unloaded by the next time the, the switch crew is there. So it may sit for a couple of days, or it may be a load that, oh, I don't have room for it in the warehouse, we're not going to unload it right now, it's going to sit for a couple of days. Or the consignee pays for that, for that, it's called per diem, they pay a certain amount of time or a certain amount of money to not unload the car right away, but that's just reality. The next time I stage the railroad, I may hold a couple of cars, right? So then those go in that hold file, and the, the crew is going to come along and say, oh, I'm not moving those cars. And that rat, Joe, buried the cars that I need behind these cars that have to sit. So now I've got to take cars out, you know, pull the whole string, set out two cars, and then shove two back in the same spot.
2: I think we'll do another podcast and we'll follow a car or follow one of his crews across the layout. And we can discuss things like that so people new to operations We'll understand. Yeah. So we'll finish up with two things. One, he talk us through the set you got from MicroMark, cost and what you get, so people will know. You know, this is you're not paying for a sound-equipped DCC engine. You can get into this for less than what? I mean, how much are less than than you? Tone. less than a basketball? Less than a basketball.
1: Yeah. So the the MicroMark uh, starter set is about thirty five dollars. You get 100 car cards, you get waybills, and you get bad order slips as well. A bad order slip is basically a pink slip. So if your operator finds something wrong with one of your cars, they could drop it into your uh, car card so that at the end of the session, the superintendent or the layout owner knows that that car uh, needs some work. Uh, You also get 25 locomotive cards, which are like a car card, uh, but locomotives won't have a waybill. Uh, they'll just have information like your DCC address and other information specific to the locomotive. And then we were just talking about the car card boxes that you would put around the layout. And this starter set for 35 bucks actually includes uh, two of those wooden uh, boxes as well. So it's a pretty good startup uh, starter set for at least my size uh, layout, which is about Twenty-two feet by 10 inches or so Uh, so it would definitely cover most of what I'm doing uh, on my layout and you said the
2: car cards are what size they're just
1: yeah so the car cards that I got are uh, two and a quarter inches by four inches uh, two and a quarter wide by four inches high and then the way bills that go inside of those are two inches wide by three inches high so when you stick the waybill inside the car card, you can still see the top of the car card, which shows you the information about the specific car that you're moving.
2: Okay. So a little, some assembly required some tape and a pen and things like that. But that's kind of the fun part. I, I think like when we talked about the shipper, that's always the fun part. Cause like I said, you've got your friends involved from chat. Joe and I have done that. We've looked on other layouts and Hey, that guy's got a cool industry. Let's, ship something back and forth. And that'll bring it back to your comment, Joe, about not being there in nineteen fifty three. And Heath and I want to know where would people get information about this topic other than this podcast? So <laughs> I mean we're talking we can probably go to the opsig, yep. the operations special interest group. They do a newsletter, they have emails, they do zooms National Mount Road Association has what they call an interchange. Heath and I, it's a discord, which has operations, lounges, and information. You can ask questions. But where would someone go find where washing machines were made (laughs) in 1953 to ship to Crookston, Minnesota?
0: Well, so there are shippers, guides... You can, there are a really useful series of books and, you know, I, I, at no point do I work for Kalmbach, but uh, Jeff Wilson has put out some really nice books that give you, I have the milk one, I have the grain one, I have, uh, there's another one I have. Anyway, if, if you go to the real detailed ones, it gives you the entire industry from raw material to finished product being shipped out. Uh, express mail merchandise yep that's a good one they also have local or smaller sized blurbs and they have three or four of these in these industry books trackside industries and it'll he'll cover you know smaller industries that'll have that information the opsig has online and tom you posted a link and i've kept it open on my phone for the past week and a half a shippers guide or or industry guides for different railroads I happen to have the the industry list uh for the Great Northern where they in a, a town where they were not the only railroad, they had a list of who what the other railroads served and, and what uh railroads served them and what the industries were. And so that's really interesting. So you go to the Historical Society for the railroad or the area that you want to model, model railroad or in railroad model craftsmen. They have all kinds of industry information in their you know their different issues ted schnepf has these shipper guides for sale you just if you look up uh, his name is uh, spelled s c h n e p f and if you look that up it'll, his website will come up and he like i said has these industry guides for sale that have that cover the entire country for from the 50s or the 30s onward of where the industries are and and what they shipped
2: so it's a bottomless rabbit hole. Oh, it's it finding is. out. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a hobby unto itself, if you want it to be.
2: Hobby unto itself. Of when when tractors were made and things like that. Now, Heath, uh, there, you found as you started your operations journey, you found a couple other books there, some classic ones. What were what are the two that you have there?
1: One of them is uh, Bruce Chubb's "How to Operate Your Model Railroad," and it goes through his uh, Sunset Valley railroad that he built and how he operates that i also have some of those other model railroader books uh, that dan was mentioning from jeff wilson and then i think we can't not mention the Opsig compendium as well which is a massive book of operations information so there's a lot out there Uh, it's a matter of just picking and choosing what works for you and uh, forgetting about all the rest
2: So with your start in this, Heath, are you enjoying it? Would you do it again? I mean, what would you say to someone who has a layout that wasn't designed for operations, but is curious about this? What advice would you give them? And then, Joe, I'll ask you what advice, too.
1: My initial thought is find somebody in your community that has a switching layout or find somebody online that you can remote operate their switching layout. Um, In-person, I think, is better for a first time if you can, but get the experience of, of what it's like, and I think once you try it, at least in my experience, I ended up hooked on it, and I, I am enjoying the rabbit hole. I enjoy the exploration. I enjoy knowing that it's a bit of a bottomless pit, but I get to make the choices. I get to make the decisions, and it's my model railroad, so I'll run what I like.
2: Rule one, I like it with operations. Joe, give me your advice to someone who says, I want to start operating.
0: Well, the, the key is, like uh, he said, you got to find someone local that you can play with their trains, right? Because we're playing with trains. We're just doing it in a sophisticated way, right? And I'm sorry if people are offended by that, but that's just the reality of it. But So find that local guy, and there are a couple of ways to do that. The local hobby shop is one. If you have one, I hope you do. The NMRA has a great number of resources to get you hooked up with people. And like we were talking about before we got started with the actual recording of the podcast, Heath is going through this. You operate once and you talk to a few people, and just about every uh, operating layout needs more crew all the time. So if you get in once, you're going to find more people that are willing to have you over as long as you're a decent guest. And so, and that's just some guys I know. Lots of guys who have never built a layout and will never build a layout, but they're very, very good operators and they operate a lot. So there, there's those opportunities exist. You just have to kind of figure it out how to how to find somebody.
2: Yeah, and I think you both hit on a subject that I've always said that. Someone's starting out in this hobby or someone's starting out operations or someone's starting out their senior thing. The most important gift you can give to someone is not a, you know, a new laser cutter. It's, it's not the right tools. It's, it's your time. I mean, the, the right mentor in anything and especially model rarity just sets the tone and goes a long way. So that's why I always hope in the NMRA that, you know, the three of us and many more others are really good mentors, and we want to see you succeed. And then I do want to correct you, Joe. It's not playing with trains. It's a historical reenactment. Okay, that's, I, <laughs> I that's, that's what I'm going to call it for now. Until I feel like <laughs> leaving my Thomas on the floor. So yeah, there you go. I think we'll end it with that. There's a lot more. It needs part two. A lot of these podcasts need part two. But Keith, it's great seeing you jump into the – Wade into the pool. I'm not saying you jumped into the deep end, but you're doing well. I think that's great with Joe's help and hope everybody else is given good advice. I think with that, we'll wrap her up and everybody, you guys say good night. Good night, Gracie.
1: Good night, everyone.
3: You've been listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts.
1: You know, when it was just building a layout, it was much narrower. When you add ops to it, really pretty wild how much larger it makes the world of model railroading and i think a lot of people don't get that at all a lot of people that just have loops on their railroad uh, i don't think quite get like what you know what why would you do this operation stuff like why not just turn it on and run the trains like why are you well same thing like why are you using dcc dc so much easier and it's like, well, if you're only running in loops, yes. You can talk loud because I'll catch you. I know, you. I'm oh, just
3: trying yeah. to practice read it. Very good.